welcome to Clear Horror High. Hosted by Chris Vecchio and Nikki Jack. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Welcome back to Queer Horror High, where we're queer, we love horror, and we're really fucking high. I'm Chris, and I'm really fucking high. Uh, <laughs> I'm a queer Gemini demon. And I'm Nikki, and I'm higher than a 2002 phone bill after 9 p.m. <laughs> which if you know you know because what a time that was like we was really we really was condensed in text messages each letter was like a million dollars god forbid if you was, was pissed you couldn't <laughs> send a novel you couldn't send because now you can send whole fucking like rectangles in the text message if you was fighting you had to mm-hmm. you had to call that person and then you had to wait to call them you save it for the next day <laughs> you really had to like yeah, if your mom was online you were screwed because <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't use that you couldn't do both at the same time back no, then. Those were house phone hours. Anything after 9 p.m. was like, hit me on my house phone, okay? Wait, let me call you because I don't mm-hmm. want the, my mama to wake up. <laughs> mm-hmm. God, what a time. I miss 2000s, early 2000s, dude. The early 2000s were the best. I remember talking to my girlfriends at night, texting on my little Nokia brick with like a removable plastic cover with flames on it oh god it was so bad was that your first phone it was the flames the flames cover specifically i also had a removable army one which why i think it just was a two-pack of it was the guy fietti <laughs> two-pack you had the, <laughs> like, you had the destiny child survivor pack <laughs> oh my god yes that's oh and you know what that song was out around that and yeah, that song 2001. came out in 2000 right 2001 yeah okay close yeah it was pretty close and I remember, you know, after I would get out the phone with them, I would watch Undressed on MTV, oh, which was bitch. our soap opera. <laughs> Undressed was muy scandalo. It was so scandalous, dude. I remember they was like humping on couches on that show on MTV. It came on at like midnight or one. Eleven. Mm-hmm. I think it was eleven. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I remember just being mad late and me being like, ooh, I'm going to sneak and watch. And then I went right after I watched BT Uncut. That was big horny hours, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> They also had, during a very specific time in MTV's uh, lineup, which I think was somewhere around 2001 to 2003-ish, they had Spider Games. Right after or before Undressed. That shit was drama. Yeah. I love that show. It only lasted one fucking season. Mm -hmm. I remember it very Disappointment. And that came on around that little power hour with, like, Aeon Flux or whatever. Like, that was, like, the first, like, anime. Uh Uh-huh. And Mm -hmm. then some other random shit but yeah i remember that that show was like very ahead of its time yeah there was lots of queer characters on that show everybody was gay and humping so i was like oh this is spicy for like 2000 2001 yeah like these dorm rooms are they have it going on there was a lot of shit going down in there yeah but shout out to the first cell phones and scandalous mtv shows because what a time to be alive dude that was like some of my best living Right? And then at night I would go to bed. Oh my God, during one of those nights is when I found out Aaliyah died. She died on my birthday. I found out in seventh grade. Oh yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. I remember it was like three o'clock in the morning. I was on my same white 13 inch television. <laughs> I don't know, you know, watching like Ashanti videos <laughs> at three in the morning. I also had that album. 
<laughs> and then I remember, like, you know, Kurt Loder pops up or Serena Altschul, mm-hmm, one of them. Mm-hmm. And it scrolls across the screen that Aaliyah had died in a plane crash. And I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I remember that fucking broke me, broke my little heart. Because Aaliyah was like, I had like a top, because every little girl has like top three bitches that rule their world. And mine was Britney Spears, mm-hmm. Maya, and Aaliyah. And I specifically remember when I was like in second grade, I used to get my hair done at like the salon all the time with my mom every weekend. And I remember asking the uh, stylist for a heavy Aaliyah bayang. And I had the, the mm-hmm. my entire, uh, the entire like, right side of my face was just covered by bang side bang and Aaliyah was like the first girl to do a a real true emo bang and (laughs) she was she did and she had Mm -hmm. like the the kind of uh smoky eye too like that smoky emo Mm -hmm. eye that kind of went with it she had like yeah Mm -hmm. that like metallic-y grayish blue she was like emo before she knew she was emo type style you know but she was also very tomboy she was a versatile queen but yeah destroyed my life because i remember just being like obsessed because i had just i loved her and romeo must die yeah and i learned i had learned all the choreography in all her videos i can still do the um more than a woman and are you that somebody choreography i also have moves from rock the boat that was the video that she was shooting. Yeah, very heavy Aaliyah stand over here. And uh, it just pisses me off now because all these niggas trying to like do remixes and shit. Like, please leave her alone. Let her rest. Don't nobody want to hear Future and Drake and Chris Brown over Aaliyah vocals. Like, I know. nigga, get the her fuck. Her music was held tight for a while. It wasn't available anywhere. And yeah. now it's kind of being. It's because the, not yeah. the estate, but her greedy ass uncle, Barry fucking Hankers, a god fucking oh he's the worst person ever um he was holding on for greedy purposes and finally Mm -hmm. re-released all the music from that label but none of them people are getting paid because jojo tony braxton tank like mad people have projects under that same like his label or whatever and all mm-hmm. that stuff finally just got released out of the vaults. But it was all a money grab. It's bullshit. And now there's a new Aaliyah. Don't go buy that new Aaliyah album or whatever the fuck that's coming out or that came out. or Don't touch that because don't nobody want to hear Drake and Future and Lil Baby or whoever the fuck else. There's no women on this project. It should, if you're going to do some Aaliyah shit, at least do it with the girls who are out now who are clearly fucking influenced by her. I would love a Janae Aiko. I would love an Ari Lennox. I would love a SZA. Like, there are so many girlies right now who are clear carbon copies of Aaliyah who would be wonderful to put on a new project. But you have all these like rap trap niggas and it's men only. It needs to be produced by Missy Elliott first off. Or she needs to be involved. They're not even touching this shit. And it's like I said, it's just like a money mm. grab on the uh, greedy ass uncles thing. But you know what? That's... Yeah, it was the 20th anniversary that mm. just passed. I think that's what they were trying to capitalize on. Mm-hmm. And it was just, uh, it's just messy and gross. So, you know, don't don't support anything that is not stamped by, you know, the right people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, two weeks. I th- yeah, it was like two and a half weeks after Aaliyah died was September 11th. And let me tell you, Aaliyah's plane crash was the most devastating plane crash of 2001 <laughs> to me. <laughs> Same. I went swimming on Tuesday. I'm a New Yorker. I could <laughs> yeah. say that. I'm, I'm not, but I was I was, I was. went swimming. I was homeschooled during 9-11. So I just like, was like, oh, shit. Is, I thought it was a movie at first. And I was like, oh, it's not happening here. Well, I'm going to go to the pool. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I know people, sorry, I know people are devastated, but honestly, the most in, like in, interesting thing to me are all the conspiracies that have come out of 9-11 and then like the, um, the fake people, like the people who fake being there, being a part. I feel like those are oh my god fascinating. By the way, if you guys want to like watch something crazy, watch uh, the woman who wasn't there. It's about a woman who lied about being at nine eleven and like jeed off mad money and scammed and finessed. And she wasn't even from here. She wasn't even in the country. Uh, <laughs> god. Oh god. There's also um, an episode of a podcast called Swindled where a fireman faked, I think, having cancer, or he faked having got cancer from being a fireman at 9-11, like being one of the first responder mm. niggas, and he said he got cancer from it. None of that happened. He was just stealing money. That shit pisses me off, because my dad actually was a legit first responder for that. I was going to say, wasn't your dad, like, there? You told me that yeah. so many times about how, like, mm -hmm. just fucking traumatizing and crazy that shit was. Uh, yeah, I was like, holy shit, this is, like, that's a wild finesse. You know how sick you have to be to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to capitalize off a national tragedy, very sick. <laughs> <laughs> Like, God damn, I, I mean, I always, I'm like, steal from Walmart, but don't fucking <laughs> lie about shit like that. And even now, don't steal a lot from Walmart or Target. Stay the fuck away from stealing from Target. I used to joke about that shit, but honestly, I'm not trying to see my people locked up because Target is on your ass. What they will do is let you accumulate a certain amount of money. They'll let you just steal and steal and steal and steal and steal and steal until you rack up enough money to the point where they can arrest you. And Target has a sophisticated... It's like a big-ass felony. Yeah, mm -hmm. they have a very sophisticated surveillance system that even, the, like, the FBI and shit has, like, tapped in with Target to get the same surveillance. They have, like, their own police system. And police have worked with them very closely to get, like, people for theft and shit. It's really fucked up. Do your Googles. Looking about, like, Target's... Uh, theft shit and you will go on a rabbit and don't hole. buy your pride merchandise at target either they take artist designs and use them and put them on their t-shirts and sell them without giving those people proper credit and compensation and also why would you get your merchandise for such a transgressive act and event at <laughs> target but if, if you, you can, have like if the you can get it somewhere else get it somewhere else opportunities and like that's like living in like Hillcrest and going to Target for like for like a pride shirt. You're like, what? Like, like you yeah, could have no, gone to like do not. so many other places and like you could have just painted a rainbow on your shirt and been better off. Yeah, right. Like you're you're gay. There's a little crackiness <laughs> yeah, in you. Like, <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> you don't have any glitter. Are you sure? <laughs> like, come on, dude. And if you're an ally and you if you're an ally with money and you show up with a fucking Target pride shirt, go home. Why are you here? Go home and take the police escorts with you. Right. She <laughs> yeah. doesn't even go here. Get the fuck out. Leave. So how are you this week? <laughs> What's the high tea? <laughs> what are you smoking Ooh, on? Um, you know, I'm good. I don't, my week was it was whatever. I lived through it. I'm on the other side of the week. I am smoking the blue night. I don't know why I call it the blue night. It just feels classier. Um, I never take the opportunity to be classier. So this is the opportunity I will take calling my weed. That's blue night. The blue night. Love that for <laughs> you. Seizing all opportunities. No, I smoked this on the show before. I don't remember when towards the beginning of it, you know, it's yeah. a blueberry 
indica dominant strain mm. you know it, it fucks you up it's high thc content really relaxing makes you really hungry though <laughs> so <laughs> you know that's funny trying to not eat everything in sight but, but other yeah, than that yeah. i'm good you might still and that's okay how's your week what are you smoking on? It's chill. I have pound cake and Kush mints. It's like a little, I think it's an indica hybrid. Obviously, it's Kush. And then it's a pretty potent, delicious. It smells real, real good. Um, I'm also very high, still off that RSO. You already know. Okay. I've been dipping and dabbing in that very heavy, and I've just been like a zombie. Like, I, the weeks just keep going by, and I'm like shocked that I'm still here, each one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so every day is a surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm just fucking working all the time, which is great, but I'm just, uh, I need a Same. nap. I need a nap. I'm ready for a nap. Sleep is so precious to me, and I never get any. <laughs> I know. Every hour, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Sweet Jesus. I need to rest my eyes. But, like, there's so many opportunities I could take to sleep, and I don't. I just be a bullshitting, like, in the kitchen, wasting paper towels. Like It's called, like, when you feel like so much of your day is consumed by work and things that you have to do, it's called, like, revenge intentional insomnia disorder. That's not it, but it's, like, something like that. Yeah. Like, I said it wrong. Well, Google it. It's like you're taking time late at night when you know you should be sleeping for yourself to just do stuff that you just want to do because throughout yeah. the day, you don't have the time to do the stuff that you just want to do, not stuff that you fucking have to do. That makes sense. So, But then you don't get enough sleep and then you're tired. You're even more tired and groggy and, you know, it's not a good thing, but it's understandable why so many people do it. And I do it all the time. I'm going to do it tonight. Yeah, because <laughs> you know what? I'm good for a... um. Oh, I'm fucking tired and complaining all day about how tired I am. And then I go to lay down. I scroll Twitter for like an hour and 45 minutes. And then I just think about shit from like third grade mm -hmm. that I wish I hadn't done. <laughs> and oh I, my I, God, I harp, all I, the time. I harp over things I wish I hadn't said or I wish I had said better. Comebacks. Comebacks, I just didn't get an opportunity to lash out. I'm like, I should check some of this right now. I know it's been like six years, but I have something on my mind. <laughs> Like, oh, I hate it when that happens. It happens to me all the time, too. And then I look up and it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm going to be so tired. <laughs> and then I complain and do it all over yeah, again. Insomnia sucks. It fucking sucks. Yeah, I can never sleep. And like I said, I always smoke enough weed to like put down a small horse. And yet and still, I'm just like awake. Like I have absolutely nothing going on and it's just not healthy. No, yeah, I can. I'm able to smoke myself into a vegetative state, but not into like a state of sleep. It just it doesn't shut down all the processes. Seeds, processes. I'll get really high and then like rest my eyes on the couch or something. But the minute I'm like, oh shit, I need to get up and like go lay down and like go to bed, and then I get up to go lay down and I'm not tired anymore or something. Because I've my body spent mm -hmm. too much time like waking up to get all my things and to like move from the living room to my room and you're like that is not a long distance nikki like relax come on and it's like actually no but my body thinks it's like an eternity of being awake and now we're fully awake and now i'm gonna sit here and complain about not sleeping mm -hmm. it's an ugly cycle and it's also called being 32 okay well we've been talking a while now we should get to the movie this is our longest intro yet <laughs>
I know. So for February this month, we're doing um, some horror blastics, as I like to call them, which is horror black classics. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, celebrating all things black horror. And I think, you know, each episode we're going to be dropping y'all with some facts and some, I don't know, just some perspectives of like the black experience in horror because... They don't really be showing us a lot of love, y'all. And when they do show us love, it's like, it's true. Mm, all right, I, I guess. But I'm sick of that. And I, you know, there's Jordan Peele now who is kind of changing the game, flipping the script and really giving an alternative narrative. And there's been some others throughout this genre that have really like given a black people a voice in horror that wasn't always explored or even imagined because we just get killed off too much too quick <laughs> or we're like just not given solid roles or any developed stories like we kind of talked about it in the the craft episode how rachel mm-hmm. is that bitch's name rachel, rachel. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, we called it rachel tensions because i just couldn't remember well because her real name is rachel rachel rochelle yeah but you know rochelle who, yeah rochelle how there was an opportunity to give her more of a story because she was a main character and they mm-hmm. just kind of skipped over a lot of her shit so yeah the, all this uh the month of february we're giving it to you that way some flavor some colors so if you don't like black people get the fuck out just kidding <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, really. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't say just kidding. I meet up that shit with my whole chest. But um, you should be listening <laughs> to this anyway. Yeah, guys, this week we are doing, was it Death by Temptation? Yeah, Death by Temptation from 1990, directed by James Bond the third. Mm-hmm. Not that James Bond. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The, other, the brother one. Yeah, this is his first and only film. And honestly, if you were going to have only one movie, this is not a bad one to, to have. have on your resume. Yeah, this is very, in many ways, it's ahead of its time, I would say, but that almost does a disservice to it. It's actually on par with the time it was made in. It's critiquing the current time when no one was really talking about the issues that this film tackles. Yeah, and totally. Society at large and white people didn't like tune into a lot of the things that this movie was talking about until way later. So that's why from like a more just general American perspective, this movie seems ahead of the times, but really it was on point with analyzing the moment in which it was made Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of references to Reaganomics, just Reagan's presidency in general in this, the AIDS HIV crisis that the Reagans together both collectively stigmatized and kind of downplayed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which caused a lot of unnecessary deaths in the queer and black communities especially oh a thousand percent and then also just like the heavy religious tones and mm-hmm. how that is always just like scaring people <laughs> it scares people like heavy, like the heavy religious stuff sometimes scares people away from doing things that they otherwise would do it creates like a pressure that i think suffocates some people mm-hmm. to feel like they need to be so morally pure and if they're not then they, they've thrown everything away and this movie definitely tackles okay yes toxic masculinity the phrase did not exist in 1990 but, but this film was fun 100 coming for masculinity in especially i think the black male community from the perspective of this director Mm -hmm. and 
there's a lot of queer coding in this movie because of that. Mm-hmm. Outward queerness as well, but definitely some coding that I didn't even necessarily pick up the first time watching it. But this time I was like, oh, you could read this in more than one way for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there was a de- definitely like, it kind of, I don't know, it covered a lot of different bases. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, this is, I don't want to say, yeah, it it was ahead of its time, but also very on par for its time. Like, I feel like this movie is also very overlooked. And this is a gem you brought to my it attention. Because really I feel mm. like I had heard of it, but I just never paid attention to it or just, or just seen it. And I love Kadeem Hardison. So I was, and Samuel L. Jackson, you know, it's got a great cast. But And Bill Nunn. Bill Nunn is great, too. Mm-hmm. I just feel like not a lot of people have seen this either. So it makes sense. No, critics were super big on it at the time, and it has a really bad rating on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is racism and just not understanding the Black perspective, because especially in 1990, the only Black director that anybody knew at the time was Spike Lee. Yeah, and this movie is very Black. Very, very Black. Like, there's no white people in it. It feels Spike Lee influenced for sure. Yeah, Just for the sure. The use of the music, the, the vivid style. use of color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like people just haven't seen much like this. And because the budget is relatively low, I think people also overlook it for that. Though I honestly think that they use the small budget that they had very wisely. The cinematography in this is beautiful. Which again is some fuck shit because there's a lot of white movies that be having the, a budget of like a McDonald's Happy Meal and... People will be That's like, it's a cult true. classic. It's some of the greatest shit I've ever seen. And you're like, bitch, this costs $5 to make. Um, Paranormal Activity, The Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project, Mid, yeah. but budget was very low and they fucking made bank. Mm-hmm. So just going to show so, racism in cinema. Yeah, horror especially. Lots of white bros in this genre that dismiss a lot of amazing films because they're told from a perspective they're unfamiliar with. But the IMDb description for this is an evil succubus is preying on libidinous black men in New York City. And all that stands in her way is a minister in training, an aspiring actor and a cop who specializes in cases involving the supernatural. Did I get through that libidinous correctly? Did I say that right? I think I did. I didn't even know that was a word. So (laughs) shout out to you. I, I mean, it clearly stems from libido, but I was like, I never, you know what? I can admit it. I have never heard libidinous specifically. When you said it, I was like, Ludacris so. is in this movie? God damn, everybody's in this. <laughs> Roll out. <laughs> <laughs> I got my twigs. My bodies. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So right off the bat, my first note say, living for this 80s synthy funk music. I love it. So the score in this is so good. Mm-hmm. So we're in New York City, and this bartender at this bar is on the phone <laughs> with a woman we presume that he has had sex with, and he's just, like, being really dismissive, and he's just like, so, just get an abortion. What's the big deal? And then clearly she's, like, not happy with that, and then he's like, honey, you're groveling. It's very unattractive. Just dump the kid, and we can kick it again. I'll even pay for it. I was like, oh my God, please, wait, wait, you wait. need to die. Wait, like, I, I said, why is Billy D. Williams the bartender? <laughs> oh and I said, not him being freaky on the phone at work. 
<laughs> like he's just giving it up crazy because then he hangs up the phone with the abortion bitch and then is is bad <laughs> he calls someone else. yeah he gets big horny on the phone with another hoe i'm like god damn you just you're not even serving drinks you just get your dick wet all day at work you know he is greedy and i feel like if you think about it i almost get like slight vibes like re- relating to willy wonka with this i don't think it's as pointed but I feel like we get a distinct type of douchey character for each one of these men. Mm-hmm. And this guy is just callous, mean. He's the player. I mean, yeah. they're all kind of players. Because my notes but about him say all he do is Mac. Terrible. Like, all he do is Mac. He was Mac in the whole first five minutes we, like, ever introduced to him. And then, I mean, from there, <laughs> like, we see how that plays out for him. Uh huh. So at the bar, he says that he wants to like dress up in her husband's clothes and pretend to be Captain Kirk. I'm like, so he could go take where her no to man space. has gone yeah, before. Some shit, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if she's talking to you, do you really think that there's a place on her that no man has gone before? I think the places have been gone to. You oh, are going God. to places that have been visited. I've been here before. This is <laughs> this is the sunset cliffs of places. Like, <laughs> I've been here before. <laughs> That's a very um, regional joke, if you know, in San Diego or Sunset Cliffs. Shout out to you. (laughs) (laughs) So then we get our first glimpse of the temptress. And you just got to notice those long gold fingernails right away. I'm just like, how much coke does she do off of those nails? (laughs) Because she could fit a lot. Shout out to black girls because we did it first like that's a trend that's coming back and that's again like one of those things where like style always recycles itself because black girls have been doing Mm -hmm. the 20 inch nails (laughs) like (laughs) nails to the sun long as fuck bedazzled sometimes they used to have a little hoop ring my mama used to get the little Mm -hmm. um the ring on the pinky nail pierced Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. and i was always like this is so jazzy i wanted it so bad when i was little but i couldn't get it because that would make me look fast um (laughs) (laughs) yeah dude i loved her nails i love back then fast wasn't a compliment but now be as fast as you need. Call me Speedy Gonzalez, baby, because <laughs> I'm running. <laughs> so the temptress is played by Cynthia Bond, who is a knockout. And her blown back hair is so iconic here. Like, actually, nothing about this film was iconic, unfortunately, because nobody knows about it. <laughs> but like, just the hair alone right off the bat, I'm like, it's just great. Yeah, it's she so, like, she literally could have been Diana like, Ross. Yeah, she was giving very much like every light skinned bitch in the 80s who was like Apollonia, Fiona, uh, Vanity, mm-hmm. fucking uh, Sheila E, like all the pretty bitches princes around. Like she was probably chilling with Prince. Sheila E for sure. Yeah, she was probably chilling with Prince. Like yeah, Some of the songs in the background sound very Prince inspired because I don't think that the, this film had the budget to get Prince songs, but it definitely got like, I don't know, there was some like DeBarge or who was the <laughs> guy who sung the rhythm of the night? <laughs> <laughs> Because I also said that the Billy D. Williams bartender looks like a DeBarge throwaway. (laughs) (laughs) But I left that joke out because I didn't think you would get it. But of course you get it because you get everything in pop culture. And I love it. Thank you. Uh, El DeBarge. There's Chico and then there's (laughs) the other nigga. (laughs) 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 Like there's a couple of them. So... There's El DeBarge, and then there's the other DeBarges. 
<laughs> oh, why is that funny to me? Apparently one of them was in this movie. Anyways. Yeah, she asked him back to her place to make him a drink under her rules because she's like, I heard the bullshit about the abortions and the <laughs> Captain Kirk shit. And I am <laughs> I'm going to be in control here. You are coming to my turf because if we fuck on your turf, I'm going to wind up killing you. Well, actually, she winds up killing him anyway. Yeah, so doesn't it doesn't even matter. Really matter. You're going to you're going to die. But she wants it to be more convenient for her. The cinematography here is really cool. They walk into her apartment and the way that the light is hitting the figure, I think it almost looks like the Pied Piper or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It might be religious. Because going up those stairs, like that that shot Mm -hmm. of him going and even like the shadow play and stuff was so cool looking. Yeah, it's creating a shadow of like a crucifix or a cross on the wall. Yeah, it's so cool looking. Yeah, for the limited budget here, James Bond the third milked (laughs) the shit out of this budget. Yeah. The cinematographer for this, I believe, is Spike Lee's cinematographer. Oh, really? Yeah. Hold on. I have to. Well, not that Spike Lee has one cinematographer, but he does yeah, have someone, one that he yeah. uses a lot. Tell me why I was going to go look up this fact in the um, Esther role and <laughs> David Gonzalez picture. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier, I was telling Chris that Esther role <laughs> looks like the baseball player David Gonzalez. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> or David Ortiz. Ernest Dickerson. David Ortiz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ernest Dickerson was the cinematographer and he did a lot of Spike Lee's movies too. So you could see the influence and he makes a lot out of this little budget here. Yeah, makes it stretch. Also, he is in a tacky ass red suit. <laughs> this thing, it, it fits like a zoot suit. Like I know that that was the, like in the late 80s and early 90s, this like oversized 20 style of suit came back, but it just makes everybody look eight inches shorter than they are. Like it doesn't work for me. And it doesn't work in the crack era because everyone was like already pretty skinny. So it's like <laughs> you're just drowning in this, sir. Not to say everyone was doing yeah. crack, but, you know, being thin was in. This movie is t- talks about that, too. There are a couple of allusions to like the crack epidemic in here for sure. Yeah. When he walks in in his tacky red suit, the the temptress is just like, I couldn't wait to see you, clearly mocking him. She is in total control. This movie is like, (laughs) it's commenting on a lot of taboo things. It's actually being aggressively feminist in like agency with sex. It's it's exploring blackness in a way that we haven't seen. And as we'll get to, it like goes into AIDS and queerness too like it's tackling a lot of shit yeah she would have a bumper sticker that says bitch broad and total control of herself <laughs> oh definitely broad for her she, yeah. Yeah, she's a boomer yeah so. <laughs> it would be broad you know but now it would say babe so she's mocking the shit out of him you could just tell that she just can't wait to have her way with him and then we get into her room and this bed and candle situation is everything but this shit is all gonna burn I was like, what a fire hazard. She has like an easel with 80 candles on it. <laughs> like a thin ass little frame with all these candles. And this bed is draped. And it's like. It is draped for the gods. <laughs> like, Yeah. It's not like all this fake ass polyester shit. shit everywhere. This like canopy shit that's just ready to burn. Did you hear what he said when she. I forgot what she asked him, but he said he is a hot. She was a hot natured freakazoid who can't wait to jump his bones because you know I get the key to your pleasures. I was like, did you I rehearse that, that line, sir? Did you really just take all your sweet ass time getting that down? 
Yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty sure like 30 minutes ago when you were at the bar with her, you were scamming someone out of <laughs> abortion money. <laughs> you, you, were you were convincing a woman to have an abortion instead of having your child. I don't think that you have the key to anybody's pleasures. Like, Jesus Christ, bro. Oh, that is funny. Yeah. But yeah, the bitch was like trying to burn her house down. So... Mm hmm. So he notices her covered mirror and you could see really quick when he takes it off or like reveals it that you can't see her reflection in the mirror. But I don't think he notices it. Mm -mm. And then we have this like tacky ass song in the background playing and it just keeps going like you're hungry. I don't remember the how the fuck it's <laughs> but it's definitely talking about being hungry. And it's like, ooh, she's tempting him. So then they just start going at it. She is just manhandling I was like, him. they get busy right away. Like, just cut straight mm -hmm. to it. Like, damn. Yeah, so they get into the shower. They're making out pretty heavy. And then blood starts to come out of the shower head. And they're like, this is actually pretty freaky. But did you see? Um, It got kinky quick because he put the belt around his neck. And then she, like, oh, that's was true. fucking him in the shower with around his neck and shit. I was like, oh, they is kinky, kinky. Yeah, she was, she was choking him a little bit. And... She was getting her hair wet in the shower, and that is very uh, controversial <laughs> <laughs> for black girls. Like, holy shit. They got her weave wet in this movie? That is progressive. <laughs> well, as we find out, you know, all right, whatever, spoilers. We find out that really she's just a demon inhabiting this woman's body. So the demon was probably initially white. <laughs> he wasn't thinking about it. Yeah, regardless, I was just like, oh my, that was probably the most jarring of thing of this movie. There was like, <laughs> oh, oh, the actual water on her hair. Oh, and, and she's going straight to the bed after for him this. yeah she's going straight to the bed after this no no leave-in conditioner wow this is bold so i was very shocked by that and i was like wow this is terrifying terrifying stuff well then another shock we get is when the blood starts coming out of the shower head he starts freaking out. She is cackling like a monster. Yeah, she's into And he it. runs out of the shower through the apartment with his big old dick swinging around. And we I, get to see everything. I, I was like, they showing dicks? <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect. Male nudity in horror movies at this time was not very common. Like, you used to always see titties. And you don't see her titties once in this movie. The succubus does not show her titties. Yeah, and male nudity in black people movies? Nigga, what? Like, never. I mean, that like that's what I came to see. I was like, oh, they showing dicks? This is like an episode of Euphoria. <laughs> it was definitely, it was swinging. I wrote big swinging dick. <laughs> Not to be in a rope. Here we go. <laughs> that that thing was flaccid and you could strangle a cow with it. That thing um, has some so... weight on it. It got a little, it, it looked heavy. So she catches him and you just see her about to munch on his face mm -hmm. and from the other side of the door you just see blood coming from underneath it and again low budget show us only what you need to show us it's really creepy with the blood just coming out of the door hearing her like seething and chowing down on yeah him. dude it was creepy mm -hmm. and then as that happens we get the church bells chiming and we cut to north carolina where we see samuel jackson in an earlier role playing a preacher talking about resisting temptation. And immediately I was like, I wonder if Quentin Tarantino saw this before he <laughs> cast him as Jules in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Because obviously the characters are nothing alike, but just the way he's sermonizing here just reminds me of the way he spoke 
during that, you know, that famous scene in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. That's a really funny parallel. But, yeah, he's he's an intense uh, preacher in this. But I will say these next few scenes, and we kind of get a lot of these, like, repeated moments. Like, these are odd how they're placed in the movie. Yeah, this film is an art film. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's like an indie art horror. So there's a lot of non-linear moments. I was going to say it's not very linear at all. Like the timeline it jumps a lot. Yeah. We get a lot of dreams and flashbacks and mm-hmm. this scene of Samuel Jackson sermonizing is his son's dream and we see a woman in the pews like rise who seems like it's the temptress from a past time. Then later you see the preacher and his wife driving like down a dark, windy road. And the woman from the pews, the temptress, appears in the middle of the road and they crash either into her or trying to avoid her. And his parents both die in the accident. Mm-hmm. So Joel, the son, who is played by James Bond III. And <laughs> this is where maybe the budget should have gone because casting himself, <laughs> he fits the innocence of the character, but he just is stiff. It's just... Not a great performance, and everyone else in this movie is kind of killing it, so it stands out even more. The whole time I was like, <laughs> I feel like I already know what you're gonna say because you briefly said it earlier before we started recording. Like, just, just spend the extra twenty dollars and get Gary Coleman. <laughs> I know. how rude. He wasn't bankrupt yet. But you know. I think Gary still has some money in 1990. They didn't have the budget. So I feel like they could only afford to put an extra 20 up. They're like, (laughs) the rest is going to the subway sandwiches for the craft services. This is all we got. Uh, sorry i took myself out trying to get that joke out guys like (laughs) because he looks like gary coleman at first i was like is that i was like is that webster and i was like too tall oh no oh fuck my stomach hurts my stomach hurts okay i am killing myself okay so so Joel, the son, wakes up, the preacher's son, wakes up from his dream. He tells his grandma that he had this dream. And she's like, I had the same dream. What? He didn't even, I don't even think he got to describe the dream yet before she said that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but then she like goes on this spiel about how she took him in when his parents, we get a lot of exposition. Yeah. She says how she took him in when his parents died. And she says that they all knew he was special because he looked blessed straight from birth. And I'm like, okay, we're veering a li- into Jesus territory, a little too Jesus for me. But you know what? Like, it goes with the themes. You know, a succubus is a character in the Bible. So it makes sense. There's a lot of talk about sin. So she basically says, though, that it was her plan for him to become a minister because he's f- following in his father's footsteps. And that he's about to complete his invent. Oh my God, this is another word that I ne- I know clearly this is a word, but I've never had to say it. Evangelistic training mm-hmm. to become a world-renowned minister. And I'm like, you have some high hopes for Gary Coleman here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
But we also see, see this, you're right. Like we get a, a lot of little shots here that take us to flashbacks or, you know, visions or dreams. Cause we just get like a little shot here of like the temptress leaving his parents funeral mm-hmm. as him and the grandma are talking. I'm like, so it led us to believe earlier that maybe the woman died in the accident that they hit, but I'm thinking that she just killed them. Yeah. That's what I thought too. Mm-hmm. And grandma's like, you know, one step before your goal, there will be a crossroads and it's up to you to look both ways because evil is very powerful or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Christian bullshit. Well, because I was like, is she trying to encourage him or scare him? Because none of these things sounded positive. Like, I was getting scared. I was like, how is he supposed to feel good with any of this information? And she was trying to... See, and that's the problem that I have. And this is also just, like, another thing, once again, in the black community. Like, we use oftentimes religion as a weapon, and it's just, like, not chill. And it's very traumatizing. And we, like... It's very manipulative to just, like scare people into believing in shit and there's like a chokehold that religion has on the black community and it just saddens me because i just very recently in my life broke every chain and escaped it. Mm-hmm. The, the bounds of christianity because it just didn't make sense to me anymore you know because your girl loves a good uh like lore like i'm very much into <laughs> all that stuff but there's always so far i'm going into the you know the rabbit hole and i had my fun and now i'm over it but his grandma was very heavy-handed on it and i think like this whole journey that he has in with religion and just like the the story and stuff it's like i don't know there's multiple threats here (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah the temptation is a threat but also so is like this really strict version of religion that is being thrusted upon you by someone else for their own benefit and kind of like stifling your general human experience. There's so many things you can experience, but like you don't get to because you are held back by this sky daddy situation. Mm-hmm. So then we get back to the bar. I say the bar because there's only one bar in the movie. In the entire movie. Yeah, this hot ass woman goes to this bar all the time. <laughs> all these losers. Oh, sure. I know, sure. Anyway, so we have Bill Nunn in the bar. I think his name winds up being Dougie, but we don't know that at this point. But he's lying to this woman. He's, he's a stuttering nigga from um, New Jack City, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, Wesley Snipes. So um, he's just lying to this woman about working on a martial arts film with Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. His game is terrible. We later find out what his real motives are, but he sucks at whatever he's doing. Then we see this fucking little shit of a man walk in the bar in the background and he removes his wedding ring and he goes right to the temptress and buys her a drink. And immediately she just calls his fucking bluff because he's like, oh, b- uh, bartender, you know, the lady could have whatever she wants. And she's like, Christelle, Don Perignon. And he's like, no, 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 no. no, 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 no. By the way, the bartender looks like Michael Jackson. Like they always have. They always have. He does look like Michael Jackson. They always have a bartender that looks like somebody famous that isn't that person. <laughs> like he looks like thriller era Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like the third face Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah uh, i was like michael jackson's the bartender tonight and he's or, or she's ordering all the the pricey champagne and she was like specifically 1972 don't Perignon, okay mm-hmm. and he's not having it he's like give me a bud light and let's get out of here <laughs> and <laughs> oh yeah he was even like he pays her the alcohol and he's like keep the change wait give me my change wait keep the change and he's like 
Make up your mind. Yeah, the bartender was like, make up your goddamn mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also says that his name is John. And she's like, "Eh, you look more like a Norman to me. (laughs) And he like chokes on this, you know, on the cigarette that he's smoking. And it's like, oh, she got you. Mm -hmm. She got you right away. And he could not even hide it. And then, like, as they walk out, you see Bill, uh, you see Dougie, the guy talking all this shit, gets called out by the friend of the woman earlier. And he's like, he told me that he was a surgeon. The <laughs> same, like, the friend of the woman that he was saying he was going to be in a martial arts film. I'm like, you made up two different lies in the same bar. To friends. There's, like, three women in here. <laughs> there's, there's so few women in here. Like, you are stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's like a serious sausage fest in this bar, like, every night that people are here, too. It's very funny. She's, like, always the only chick in this bar. Like, it's very, the ratio is off. It's true. Mm-hmm. So the temptress takes Norman back to her place, and she just straight up starts fucking him, and immediately it gets real rough, and there's that, like, three-second shot of her dragging the knife over his nipple. I was like, she is wearing his ass out! <laughs> like, she is blowing his back out. God damn. Mm-hmm. So... As this is happening, Joel has a dream of encountering her and he seems really distressed when he wakes up. So he calls his actor friend in New York, Kay, and Joel wants to come visit Kay to take a break from his. He says he wants to take a break from his studies, but I think he needs to take a break from his fucking annoying ass grandma. Time out. How could you clearly skip over the most important part of this scene? The phone. Do you remember Kay's phone at the in the when it rang? It was that clear ass phone with the oh. fucking LED like neon light inside of it. Do you guys remember when clear phones when you could like <laughs> see through the phone? Yeah, like a phone that would be in like the hot chick. <laughs> yeah, but but it was like the clear ones, yeah. not like the later two thousand joints that were like different colors and shit on Lizzie McGuire. Right. No. Yeah. But like the straight up right. early nineties, like the one in was it was it fucking Home Alone or whatever. It's meant so you could just see the insides of the phone because back then that was as cool as it got. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the most important part of this entire scene. But anyways, I guess like his cousin wanting to come there is pretty important too. <laughs> well, because we get a lot of like, there's a lot of commenting on masculinity in this scene yeah, over on the phone. This is brought up a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because Joel wants to come visit Kay to take, you know, to take a break from, you know, grandma and her overbearing religious cult shit. And Kay is like, yeah, you could stay with me. And Joel's like, oh, thank you. I appreciate it so much. And Kay is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to have any of that mushy stuff. We're macho men. I'm in New York now. I don't play that. And I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Like, were these two fucking at some point? It almost seems like that's possibly implying to me that, I don't know. No. Because we find out that they, they were in seminary school together. But it's also just, like, obviously a commentary on, like, being as straight and manly as possible. Yeah, I was gonna say it's more of what you were saying earlier about like it's not a thing yet then, but toxic masculinity, specifically in the black male community. Mm-hmm. This is a running joke on Twitter. Like, is like everyday things gay? Like, and it's like Bella's is being grateful gay because <laughs> that's all this was. Like, Joel right. was straight up like, dude, thank you so much. I, I like needed this refuge, and he's like, yo, chill with all that gay shit though. And it's like, dude, is it doesn't make you soft to like just saying thank you isn't like make you soft (laughs) like are you welcome bro like whatever the fuck but put a pin in the are they were they fucking thing because there's another example of it later put a pin in it just put a pin in it okay 
So, yeah, it definitely, I feel like this is a strong commentary made throughout, oh my God. Made throughout the film. I know. Um, In the morning, at the succubus's house, the temptress, Norman wakes up and he is torn the fuck up. He is bruised. He is scratched. (laughs) Oh my God, his back. I was like, bitch, like, were you, like, fucking Wolverine, dude? Like... Yeah, he looks like Freddy Krueger got to him. Yeah. And he immediately is like, you crazy bitch, how am I supposed to explain this to my wife? And as he's saying wife, she says wife at the same time. So she's like, I knew. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she used infidelity. She used like the curiosity of infidelity within him to manipulate him. That was like his temptation because he's like, this is my first time cheating. And I'm like, I don't know if we're supposed to believe him or not. But if it is his first time, it's it doesn't, like, excuse it. Yeah, no, totally. But I also think he thought it's one of those things, like, well, I'm only sliding out once. This is my first time. I'm only going to do this one time. You know, that's how it always starts. And it's like, nothing's going to happen because it's only this one time. But th- no, it only takes one time. Yeah, and she just lays it on him. And she's like, honey, I've given you something there's no cure for. It's going to grow and grow until it consumes you. And as she's saying it, her voice gets really demonic and deeper and just scarier. And, you know, you're getting a lot of commentary on STDs, specifically AIDS and HIV, because this is in the middle of the AIDS crisis. And I feel like it could also be guilt, you know, because it's his first time cheating. He seems far Mm -hmm. more disturbed Mm -hmm. than he thought. He thought he was going to get away with it. And now that he's like Mm -hmm. not under her spell and is sober, he's like, oh, shit. So I feel like a lot of what this film is saying is this world is cruel and unfair and you need to really think about your choices because sometimes one little fucking choice ruins everything. Yeah, and also like she says that and then he's like, well, you don't look like you have anything. Like you don't. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you know, just like how naive of you. You're a grown ass man. Like you stepped out Mm -hmm. on your relationship, didn't even think to wrap up. And again, in the middle of the AIDS crisis, there's so many, it specifically was heavily affecting the black community. Then like, Mm -hmm. there's just all these things, bro. And you skipped right over all those details until your ass got, got. Well, yeah, because the stigma against people with HIV, which was often perpetuated by Nancy Reagan Mm -hmm. and other you know, right wingers that weren't considered at all radical then, but we notice are much, are, they were radical. Mm-hmm. They were radical, right? They perpetuated a lot of those stereotypes. So people think that everybody with HIV or AIDS is going to look like a leper. They're going to look decrepit and yeah, have lesions and, and scars. Yeah. And she was, yeah, and she was beautiful. So yeah. she, you know, her skin was perfect and she had makeup on and her clothes were nice and all the things that the media portrayed AIDS. To be the opposite of, yeah. As not being, yeah. Yeah. So he he got duped. His own ignorance screwed him over. Exactly. he goes downstairs and looks in a mirror and he sees lesions and scars all over his face that weren't there just a minute ago. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The succubus knows that when he goes home, his wife is going to see that and whatever happens, happens. And And we will learn about that later. Yeah. So Joel has another dream about the temptress. Again, another random insert. And then we cut to the bar and see two gay men sassing each other. I said shady gays at the bar. (laughs) And then I'm saying that I think you look familiar because it was like, I think I've seen you from somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Just being rude. 
yeah, let's be honest about it. The more handsome one of the two mm-hmm. seems a little, he seems insecure about being gay. And he was like, you know, with all these people in this bar, I seem that obvious. He says that to the other guy who comes and hits on him. So I'm like, uh oh, you're gonna, you're gonna go down because you are not, you don't love yourself. Yeah. And how the hell are you, yeah, how can you, you let, I can't even, what's the fucking, what's RuPaul's stupid fucking line? How you gonna love yourself if you can't, you can't love yourself? If you, if you can't love someone else? You can't love anybody else if you can't if, love yourself. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? Yep. Can I get a name? No, okay, yep, whatever. That's it. So then we see uh, Bill Nunn, Dougie again, get a drink thrown in his face, and he tells the bartender that the girl had a welfare butt. <laughs> <laughs> he said she was too skinny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welfare butt? Yeah, he's like, I like my women big. She had a welfare butt. I'm like, what? I'm using that. (laughs) Is that problematic? And then he, uh, well, so he he also notices the temptress, but says she's weird and has spooky eyes. Um, he's not wrong (laughs) at all. She does. And then we cut to Joel on the bus, and he's turning 21. Apparently, I'm like, you, I don't. I can't, he he looks like he's nine or 50. <laughs> like, it's just a very specific. Just like Gary Coleman. We never knew how old that nigga <laughs> was. I was like, God, who, he's like Andy Milonakis. Like, you're just like, you are just like, <laughs> not necessarily ageless, because there is an age, we just don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, but I know I'm not buying it. Yeah, like. <laughs> 21 you, you I don't know it just us. doesn't seem right <laughs> like yeah he's so little but like old in the face <laughs> he is he looks like an old man but somehow a teenager yeah because his voice is very young and and gentle it's also the way he dresses <laughs> which gets commented on <laughs> so we get back to the bar the one bar and we see the more handsome gay guy is now hitting on the temptress and you're like uh you're going to sink yourself. That's Freddie Jackson. Is it? Yeah, and I fucking hate Freddie Jackson, but that's Freddie Jackson. You know why remember that's Freddie Jackson? Because oh, it is Freddie Jackson. That's his song that's playing when she's, like, seducing him. <laughs> oh. Yeah. He's and getting- it literally says he's playing himself in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of funny. He's getting seduced to his own song, which, nigga, I hate you. <laughs> I fucking hate Freddie but Jackson. also... My notes just say, don't betray yourself, faggot. Stay gay. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. He is. Because that's his temptation. It's like, see, okay, this movie gets a lot of shit for being like, not a lot of shit, because not a lot of people have seen it. But I have seen this movie get some shit for being homophobic. Mm -hmm. And I can see that from like a just straight on like surface level point of view. But the temptress gives him her address on a piece of paper and grabs him pretty firmly and says it's your choice and i feel like she doesn't want to kill him mm-hmm. like she knows that he's like struggling gay and that and that he's struggling with his sexuality she's giving him a choice and he hates himself and she does really really tempt him though by saying with a woman it's much better yeah, <laughs> so she, does. she is using her her heterosexuality to tempt the gay man into you know her christian demon ideal nightmare whatever you know what i'm saying yeah yeah totally you're like no so Kay enters the bar now he notices the temptress he just walks up to her table and joins her 
he starts going off on his fucking stupid acting credits and shit, and she pretends to know who he is. She's playing into his oh, yeah. ego. Can I, I feel like your, that's his Can thing. I have your autograph, which is something I would do, because I related to this lady a lot. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, <laughs> but she was doing shit to niggas that I like to do, which is just, like, fuck with them and be, like, fake interested in almost a mocking way. Like, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm in this movie. I'll do this. And she's like, oh, my God, how cool. Can I have your autograph? You're so yeah. sick. And I, like, I love to antagonize men like that and just be like, oh, you're so cool. You do everything cool why don't she also ask for her the autograph for her little brother which is even more to me i'm like i love it like not even i don't even want this like i don't even want this i don't even need this but that's so funny she's great iconic and then we get one of my we get one of my favorite moments of the movie which is the sax solo erotic blue fog dance moment in the bar where, <laughs> where she is trying to seduce him and he has like a little dream or like a fantasy while they're dancing that she's feeding him in her bed yeah. grapes and bananas but she's like ripping off pieces of the banana as she's feeding <laughs> it to him and I'm like oh like the the imagery you know the the metaphor for emasculation she is gonna rip your dick apart mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. actually just a dream yeah, now they're back holding hands at the table. So, like, the whole erotic blue fog dance moment saxophone thing was, like, like... never happened. She's able to get in their heads and have them fantasize about what they want, and then she's she manipulates them while they're off in fucking La La Land. It's really crazy, too, because um, I had the captions on for this, and every time mm. she spoke, the closed captions called her Spooky Woman. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Spooky woman. Mm-hmm. I want to take a That's picture so of it. silly. I know. I was like, it just kept saying spooky woman. And then whatever like dark shit she had to say is very cute. But Kay is not tempted. He tells her that he has to go pick up Joel and help him get settled. And you could tell she immediately wants to kill him more. <laughs> like it's a challenge. Yeah. Cause he's like so self-involved anyways, to begin with, like he f- is filling mm-hmm. himself and he already thinks he's like a big deal in his head. So it's just like any, any girls talking to him is just like another broad sweating them, you know? But mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely pisses her off because her mood changes like instantly. Cause then when we see her with Freddie Jackson, yeah, she's again, not used to rejection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she ends up like running back to Freddie Jackson. Oh yeah, that's true. But first, this is the point where I saw more gay coding. Oh and yeah. It almost oh. could be as a Freudian slip. So Kay gets home. Joel scares him in like his, you know, in front of the elevator in his building. And he's like, hey, boy, I almost fucked you. I almost messed you up. And I'm like, what? Oh, you know what it is? Because I think he was like trying to not cuss. No, for sure. On the surface, that's what it definitely is. But I'm just like looking for shit. And I, you know, just the way he said it, it was like, hey, boy, I almost fucked you. Dot, dot, dot. I almost messed you up, cuz. And I'm like, just the way it paused and sat on that for like just a half a second, I was like, I caught that shit. Whether it was intentional or not, it is gay to me. It is gay to me. That's so funny. (laughs) Again, this like super like manly shit keeps coming up, though. Like even after that moment, cuz what's his face is like. Dude, I'm so happy to be here, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. It's been such a long time. And he's like, let me give you a hug, but let me close the window so nobody sees. 
Yeah, he, he did. And he, he was like, Joel asked him if moving to New York was the right move. And again, he's like, none of the mushy stuff. I got guns and knives. This is manly shit. Yeah. I'm like, oh. like it's the dialogue is so over the top that it's obvious that the director is critiquing this shit. And this is 1990. And again, a movie about black men. This is really like. Which does play out of the game. Play into the gay thing because it often is like people who are like hyper obsessed mm-hmm. with seeming gay are oftentimes gay. Because they don't want to, like, they're, like, closeted, you know? That's the thing. Well, and white men, especially during, you know, like, slavery, really emasculated black men a lot. There's so much layered ancestral trauma that black people have. It's just, it affects us in so many ways that aren't even, like, you, you can't even begin to describe, like, half the ways in which there's just, like, so much unpacking to do. And the mm-hmm. whole black male masculinity complex is just, inc- white men think they have a hard time, like, unpacking their shit. Like, <clears throat> welcome to being a black man, because not only do you have, like, just wah 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 like i'm a man but also i'm a man of like i'm a man of color i'm a black man like i they already don't see it for me they're trying to kill me every single day like and on top of that Mm -hmm. i gotta be strong i gotta be smart i gotta be fat i gotta be all this extra shit i have to go above and beyond like i always call it an ethnic fatigue (laughs) like it is Mm -hmm. literally tiresome being black you know and uh, a lot of this, like, pressure to be so manly all the time, it's mm-hmm. it's very, it comes up so much in this movie. And it's, like you said, it's a, a conversation that's not as, it's very of the times, but also ahead of the time. Yeah, because even though all this was very obvious to people who were paying attention, it wasn't talked about. And not by society at large, who was at the time, and still kind of is, run by pretty much all white people. Mm-hmm. So it just got swept under the rug by people like Ronald Reagan. And we see that Kay has like a really cartoonish Ronald Reagan bust over his television. Mm -hmm. And again, that ties its whole thing with AIDS because the Reagan presidency administration and his wife basically ignored or stigmatized. Yeah. Villainized. Yeah. AIDS and HIV and shit. Yeah. So people just died before they ever even like put any effort into trying to figure out the cause of everything. And, what they could do to help people. So this movie has a lot going on. Like it, it's, it's impressive that they were able to get all of this in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't know. That's also kind of like the black experience in itself. Cause we have so many things to touch on at once, you know, <laughs> like oftentimes black mm-hmm. people just check a lot of boxes. Cause there's so many things that affect our community. Cause it's all systemic and it all comes back to just like mm-hmm. the Osiris of this shit slavery. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, yeah. Cause the next day Joel and Kay are talking, Joel says New York is stupid and wild. Mm-hmm. And he says that like everyone in New York is a character, but Kay like kind of stands up for the people of New York city. And he's like, everyone you see here is a victim of economics, environment and Reagan. Reaganomics. Yeah. He specifically now, for the first time, they specifically point out Reaganomics as a huge problem. And that's where, like, I think later you get, like, a line. I think I have it in my notes somewhere, but a line about crack. Another thing, like, you know, during the Reagan era, the cops were very empowered and, you know, planted crack in the inner city, especially in New York. And that's why in New York got a terrible reputation for a long time. And it, it even gets the reputation in this movie where it's, like, the country, North Carolina, is portrayed as the place of the Sweden innocent and New York is where all the sinners and crackheads are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and that was done on purpose intentional as fuck this movie was saying it then and this like at large people weren't really acknowledging this until very recently like in the past few years yeah so then Kay tells Joel that he met a woman who was bad and they're like Michael Jackson bad and he's basically like yeah and says that he wants to be with her and then we immediately cut to the poor gay man showing up at the temptress's house and she's actually mad at him because she is clearly thinking about Kay now oh, and she's about pissed. Joel who we had to go pick up yeah, she's like, I only see people that have an appointment or that I bring back myself. Yeah. And she did give him her address, but she's like, I'm not even thinking about you anymore. But she yells at him to not kiss her. And they start going at it again really hard. But so this is where the movie gets a little muddled. Like, I think it means well. But she starts fucking him with a dildo. Yeah. Or maybe grows a penis like you a penis i have you don't know because you don't see it yeah because i was like is she pegging him she's definitely penetrating him with something we can't see what it is so we don't know like she's a demon we don't you know yeah you don't ever know gender sex doesn't necessarily apply here so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we don't know what's happening but he's like "Ooh, it feels good but then he says that it hurts and he asks her to take it out but when she takes it out, she just slaughters him and just tears him apart. And honestly, it's a really cool shot because we just see it through the sheets and blood is splattering everywhere. But part of me is like, I really like this because if he stayed true to himself and stayed, you know, true to his queerness, he would still be alive. But at the same time, I'm slightly disturbed that like, anal sex is like the stand-in for how a queer man would have to die in this film. It is 1990, though, but I'm, I'm happy that they tried. Yeah, they, they tried. <laughs> B plus, I guess. I don't know. Like, points for talking about it, but maybe not the best way. Yeah, it, it's like he also probably gets the most brutal death, at least that we see. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. at least there was representation. <laughs> this was not being talked about at all. In horror, at least. So, hey. This is like in, uh, was it <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre where you're like, was well, that a Mexican sheriff? Scraping. Yeah. I'm crying. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do give James Brown, James Brown, oh my God. Well, see, there we go. Now all <laughs> okay. Mm. I want you to Photoshop. <laughs> I want you to Photoshop Gary Coleman <laughs> with the James Brown wig on. <laughs> <laughs> James Bond, excuse me, James Bond the third. I applaud him for having the nerve to put themes of gayness and blackness and AIDS together in the same film and be comfortable with doing it because he could have just left that metaphor out but he didn't he put it in and I think maybe it's why the movie didn't do so well because it was like taboo on top of taboo yeah but I feel like history looks back kindly on this even if it's a little dated in its approach obviously by our standards mm-hmm. I mean you just you, did you have to kill him with while he was getting fucked with a dildo in the ass 
Like, <laughs> yeah, we still don't even know what that was. She could have been like just aggressively fingering his butthole, but we'll never know. Maybe she was fisting. Who knows? Yeah. And she had like she bitch claws. Like we just don't know. The, the, oh, tap in if you solve the mystery. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> she said, "Say this your ideas. So let's write fanfic about it." I don't know. <laughs> well, at least he got a little pleasure before he died. So Kay wants to go to the bar to meet the temptress again, and he wants to take Joel, but Joel doesn't drink. So Joel is like, can I have milk in a beer mug? I'm like, if you asked me if you could drink bi- milk milk in a beer mug, oh, fucking hell. If you asked me if you could drink milk in a beer mug, I would say you are staying home. Get the fuck. Like, you are not getting, yeah, you're not, I'm sorry, you're not going to be a good wingman if you're sipping milk out of a beer mug like, like there, nigga, no one is gonna get on this nigga it's bad enough you look <laughs> 12 and 46 <laughs> at the same time so security is already 66 <laughs> yeah security is already gonna have a hard time figuring out how to card you and and know if it's accurate so then you're ordering fucking milk like like a young old nigga because only really young people and really old people drink milk (laughs) that's true i don't fuck with milk yeah nobody between the ages of like 18 and 36 drink milk 35 that's being generous Uh oh does that mean i'm going back into a milk phase you know what i never had one though i didn't drink milk before if there's no chocolate in it or if it's not like cereals not in it i'm not i don't care or if it's not in my tea yeah, milk's just not popping, but um, yeah, this corny ass nigga. So then they have a little fashion moment where he's going through all the drip and none of it is dripping. It's all trash. Every single outfit he puts on is weak as hell. All his fits are ugly and dry. They're mad corny. And at this point, he's just um wasting laundry because none of none of these clothes like is hidden for the club until he gets to the last one. And he's he's still not mm-hmm. even he's not even that drippy. But the glasses and the J's really kind of set it off. Shout out to the J's. But he looks fine. Like Luther Vandross. Yeah. <laughs> and Gary Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> it was like swanky church wear. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was like saved Bobby Brown. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, oh, and this bitch, we get a little flash to the demon she devil bitch and she's getting dressed with her magic. And I'm like, once again, I feel like if I was a little she devil bitch, I would just be using my powers to do all the lazy things like getting dressed, heating up my food, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> going to Target. I don't know. Turn on the hot plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would just like zap shit and it'd be hot. You know what I mean? Or just like stare at it and be mm-hmm. on fire. But yeah, I love that she's like, putting up her hose with like hands li- look ma no hands like mm-hmm. handsless is that like <laughs> handless <laughs> hands hands free i think you mean hands free she still has hands <laughs> yeah yeah god damn her it hands are still on yeah <laughs> yeah that's true i guess that grammar is important her hands are still on but <laughs> And this is that's important to note because this is a horror movie. So uh, we finally get evidence that she is supernatural. Like we know this, but this is the first time where we see something actually supernatural happen. And it's just her putting on her fucking stockings. Yeah. Which mood. Mm -hmm. So then we get to the bar again. The 
bar. Not the title of this episode, The, the bar, bar. The yeah. One Bar. <laughs> um, no, we'll, we'll find a better one. But again, Bill Nunn, a.k.a. Dougie, is just, he's pestering another woman. And he is basically like, I'm pretty sure I saw you in Penthouse. And she's like, no, I was in Vogue. And he was like, I don't know. She was just sassing him. And he's like, I'm on a first name basis with pussy. And her comment, she like looks at her hands and she's like, yeah, I'm sure you're real familiar with Fistina and Palmette. I was like, God damn, she's a clapback queen. Shout out to her. I'm using that every time now. Yeah, she didn't even have to think. She just had that on reserve. Right. She was waiting for a long time for some asshole to walk up to her for on that. On ready. But she's probably been watching him because he's at that bar every night running them same tired ass lines. And she was like, she probably heard him say to the girl, like, two people away from him or her or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then another guy picks her up anyway, and he's just sitting there looking like a fool. Dumb. So later... Later that night, as the movie actually tells us, I think it, I believe here it does say later that night. Um, Kay and Joel are at the bar, and the temptress approaches Joel, and Kay is like, "What?" Because she takes Joel away to the bar and acts like she's never met Kay before. Uh huh. And she is clearly just trying to make him jealous because he snubbed her for Joel the other night. And this is though where again, like the toxicity in Kay comes out because he's like, "That's my girl." And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, okay, like, yes, you were seeing her. You saw her one night, but she's not. He did all that hyping up to his little cousin. And so his cousin was like, oh, this is a girl you were talking about? Well, she's feeling me more than you said she was feeling you. So he's looking double stupid, you know? Yeah, because Joel doesn't know Mm -hmm. at this point that that's the same woman, but she knows. Mm -hmm. So Kay and Dougie talk. And Dougie tells Kay that the temptress is bad news and that she scares the shit out of him and knows the deal on her. But then it cuts and I'm like, okay, we don't get to know the deal just yet, even though it's fucking obvious. So that's the thing. Like, just say it now because we already know what it is. (laughs) You're not withholding any information from us now. That's where the budget shows its head a little bit in some of these decisions. It's fine. (laughs) You did a good job, James Brown. (laughs) brown james brown (laughs) too many layers anyway so we're back at Kay's place and joel says that he wouldn't fuck the lady in red if he got the urge to because fornication is a sin so clearly she hasn't tempted him enough yet and this is where Kay gets like a little i don't know if he's trying to be controlling or if he's genuinely showing like care for joel it's a little column a column b yeah he's like i just want to protect you but joel's like i could take care of myself and i'm like you're 20 and you got here like two days ago <laughs> like, i feel like are you really that do you really know what's up it looks like he's never left north carolina before and he, he is in new york in the 80s i'm scared to go to new york today i can't even am 80s was like oh my god God, like, bruh, that everybody was dying. Yeah, this is when New York was at its worst. Like, this is the end of the worst time in in modern New York history, I would say. So Kay's like, you can't even dress yourself, which is very true. Yeah, very funny, yeah. He kind of has that young face, but the way he dresses, it's very (laughs) Caldor. Like, he looks like he's 100. (laughs) He looks looks like every old man in Denny's at, like, 5 a.m. having black coffee. (laughs) if you're shopping for your clothes at a place that opens at 5 a.m and is next to an old country buffet 
It's like, bruh, them slacks with the crease, like <laughs> that thick starch crease. God damn. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's doing too much. But um, I meant to say, even when they have this little tiff of like Kay trying to like put him on and tell him really what's up with the what's up. And he's all like, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm tough. I'm tough. I'm tough. And he's like, I could be you up. And he's like, you can't do that. And he's like, shut up punk and he's like no i'm just kidding like there's these very vulnerable moments that joel keeps having and there's kind of like an understanding because he's cut he knows how his cousin is but at the same time he's still like you're not in the place to be vulnerable like how you are like you have to be Mm -hmm. tough here and it's just like he's just so sweet he even says they're like don't ever call me a punk like i've heard like punk be used as like a code for gay like i'm not no punk you know people Mm -hmm. definitely say that that's why like with the the freudian slip earlier with the i almost fucked you and like the no mushy shit there seems to be a little gay coding in here and why joel succeeds in the movie and others don't i feel like is because he's actually in touch whether he's gay or not he's in touch with his femininity his soft side like he's not Mm -hmm. afraid to be vulnerable and i think Mm -hmm. that saves him And yes, unfortunately, that's tied in religion. That's also tied in with the like virginal final girl kind of trope that's, you know, dated, but not really dated at this point. But like, I like that even through the warped lens of religion, the film is still rewarding him for being vulnerable and candid, which are things not associated with masculinity. Yeah, because it's almost like you in order to be the final one, you have to have that like perfect balance of mm-hmm. masculinity and femininity energy, like, or whatever the fuck, I'm high, but you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm high, where are we at? We're cutting between the grandma praying that the Lord is going to keep Jill safe and the temptress with, like, a snake saying that Joel is the last of his <laughs> line and soon it will all be over. <laughs> and we're like, last in the line of what? Like, overzealous preachers? <laughs> is that it? But her eyes bleed and she cackles demonically and I'm just living for her. Like, Cynthia Bond sells the shit out of this performance. Like, she is Stone Cold Ice Queen and Hot Demon all at once. So you just go skip over that little boy picture? (laughs) No! No, that's the next note. As this is happening with the temptress, the grandma is looking at a picture of Joel and the eyes bleed and the fucking eyebrows get all cockeyed and it's supposed to be scary, but it's really funny. Like, even before when she's looking at it before and when it's like normal, the eyes are like... (laughs) And it was like... Because they're clearly like prepped for a cutout to put the blood through, but he just... The the kid just looks psychotic in the picture. The budget, y'all, it's hilarious things going on all the time yeah yeah that f- early photoshop brow job was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> it just got a sharpie and drill in and post yeah. um and then the picture yeah. started uh crying red paint <laughs> uh, that was so funny yeah. but then when the grandma looked down after she looked away it wasn't there so the temptress is just fucking with her and the picture is still scary <laughs> She's like, don't pray to me. I'm going to make this picture even uglier than it was before. Yeah. (laughs) The eyes, y'all. Oh, God. But then this bitch shows up and comes over to the apartment. Looking like she's going to Sunday mass. That's an outfit. She was fashionable in that chic black outfit. 
she had that like the kind of like corset over the suit type peplum deal it was nice she always had an outfit mama was dressed to kill the hair is usually quaffed the, the, the amount of hairspray in there she is just flammable all around she was very much giving meeting in the ladies room oh yeah oh i like that song mm-hmm, that was her whole aesthetic <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she comes over unannounced, I'm assuming, because it's the uh, 90s or it is 1990, but I'm pretty sure this was made in the 80s. But yeah, I think she just shows up to see Joel. Yeah, unannounced as fuck to see Joel. And then Kay is pissed because he's like, yeah. yeah, bitch, how the fuck you coming to my house? acting like you don't know me coming to see my cousin because she is icing him, like pretending she doesn't know him at all. Like, who are you? I am Stevie Wonder to this nigga. Like, I've never seen you before. And he's getting pissed yeah. and he's and he's like hating. He's like, fuck this bitch. And he gives her the business. Yeah, because Joel walks out of the room. I don't remember what he's fucking doing, but Kay confronts her and then she like changes her attitude because in front of Joel, she's being really sweet and yeah. like very coy and demure. And she's playing into the type of person that she knows Joel would like. Mm -hmm. And so when he's out of the room, she is just snapping back at Kay and is like, I don't give a fuck what you want. But he's yelling at her and he notices that she has no fucking reflection. But then Joel walks back in and he just, he just lets it go. And I don't even understand why he didn't say something then. Like, bruh, look at this bitch. That was a big ass mirror. It wasn't like, it was like a little wall Mm -hmm. mirror. This thing took up the entire like wall, literally. It wasn't like the little circle joints that you just hang in your fucking locker in middle school. Like it was a whole ass mirror. How did he not notice this bitch in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was like, why didn't you say something then? But whatever. He doesn't say anything and he lets Joel just go off with her. And then we're back at the bar and Dougie again was another one of his great like one liners. He's like, you got a nuclear butt. You got one of them explosive booties. (laughs) (laughs) He is just like, I just can't wait to use all of these. Yeah, all these puns and just like (laughs) nasty one liner was like, you are nasty, bro. Sick with it. And then, okay, this guy has James Bond, the third, has the <laughs> nerve to throw shade at Cher because Kay, Kay walks in the bar and Dougie is like, you look like you've had to watch that Cher video twice. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, the Cher shade. Ooh, how dare <laughs> you? Gasp. Yeah, how dare you? I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge Cher queen. I like her, obviously, but I'm like, whatever. I thought it was funny. Yeah, no, that is pretty funny. I just don't know which one. I'm assuming they're talking about turn back time. Yeah. Based on the time period. Yeah, probably. <laughs> if I could turn back trial. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll see if I keep that. But <laughs> uh. well, no, this is where we get the comment on crack because Dougie even says, like, you on the pipe? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, again, a commentary about, you know, the police under the Reagan administration dispensing crack to people in the inner city and then blaming it on them. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't go that deep with it, but I do feel it's another layer. It's very relevant. Reagan is being dragged. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very relevant. Um, This is where they like team up and turn into Sherlock homeboys because they started chatting about the spooky bitch mm-hmm. and how she, the bitch got bad vibes and she's just not a good person. He was like, yo, I got some actual factuals. And does he reveal at the table who he actually is, Dougie? Dougie tells Kay that he's in like a branch of the federal government that specializes in murder under strange circumstances and the Mm -hmm. supernatural. I'm like, Mm -hmm. 
Okay. They, they got a paranormal team. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. All this money you were, we're hunting ghosts with the government. Jesus Christ. So he says that some guy like that admitted himself to a psych hospital told the hospital that he had sex with the devil. So Dougie interviewed him and he said that he felt snakes in his stomach. And when Dougie was about to get the guy to say what her name was, the snakes came out of his mouth and the government swept it under the rug. And that the lead from that case led him back to this bar, the bar, and he's been following the temptress ever since. And every man that she leaves the bar with never is seen again. Yeah. And then they end up back in his apartment. Yeah. Well, I guess he says all that there at the apartment. But I thought it was funny because they was doing like the 1990 version of Googling on that computer. And it was just like, it looked like the, Oh, they were, it looked like a game of Oregon trail. Like that's all. I remember it's just like that, that black startup screen with that bright neon green matrix font and like being like, Oh, we mm-hmm. are in the future, baby. This is like very, it's giving floppy, yeah. it's giving floppy disks to save things. Mm-hmm. It's giving, this computer weighs 400 pounds and takes up half of my den. <laughs> like, we had entire rooms dedicated to the computer. Because we had a, we all had computer rooms. Everybody had a computer room. They weren't room. offices anymore. Uh-uh. They weren't offices. They weren't dens. They were computer rooms. Because the fucking monitor was, like, massive. And then it had the big ass, what, what was that other piece called? The tower, the tower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you had the internet box with all, like, mm-hmm. 900 of the phone wires. Is this our throwback episode we keep bringing up, like? <laughs> I feel like we've talked about this topic quite a bit. Yeah. It just keeps coming up. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with nostalgia. Anyways, the milkshake date is what I called it, that um Joel and the spooky bitch are on. They're just kind of mm-hmm. shooting the shit at the table, and she's talking about how well-traveled she is, or she's been a bunch of places. She's been around a block or whatever the fuck. And he's like, I'm hoping that, you know, my future career can take me around the world. And she's like, mentions him being a minister. And he's like, wait a minute, bitch. I didn't tell you all that. How do you know? <laughs> and she was like, you just have a, a an aura. She says that he has like an aura about me. Like, you look like a churchy little nigga. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't dress. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that's what his grandma says that his family said when he was born. Basically, they say the same thing. That he just looks blessed. Like, <laughs> yeah. everyone is just telling us, as soon as we look at you, we knew you were never getting laid. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. He's giving vacation Bible school, honey. Like, you're giving youth mm-hmm. pastor forever. Cool youth pastor. You, like, mm-hmm. remix Usher songs for Jesus. It's just not doing what <laughs> you want it to do. Um, anyways, Kay and Dougie go see this psychic bitch named Madam Sonia. And Great Madam Sonia. Yeah. Oh, excuse Don't shortchange me. her. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put some respect <laughs> on her name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But they give her the uh, 411 on what's, what's popping. And she tells them that this bitch is not a bitch, but a thing. And it's like a demonic entity. I know you got the info. What is what does she say? She says this thing is the very nature of negativeness in mankind. Mm-hmm. And she kind of says it just like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's very regal. <laughs> she says it exists in the in inclinations of hatred and any desire that threatens the conscious of the Conscious, my fucking Jesus. 
the conscience of man. And basically that it like tempts man away from good and God. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Praise on the weak and the innocent and the pure and la da 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 da. Um, everything that Joel yeah. is. Right. And then this is where like, to me, it relates back to like the Willy Wonka, the jigsawness, because she's like, it preys on the weak minded by preying on what's in their spirit to seduce them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it takes on the bad qualities in that person and uses it to kind of, you know, amplify their guilt or the, the sin within them and uses that to capture them. Like it uses, it used the gay guys like repression, you know, his, his self-loathing to get him. It's using the coyness of Joel to trick him. Mm-hmm. Like she's taking on his own personality to fool him. Cause she is not that sweet. Mm-hmm. She is mm-hmm. not that innocent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andrew's uh, going to kill me for that terrible Brittany impression. I know he's going to be <laughs> mad. You better apologize. But, uh, while the, psychic is giving them the rundown on who this bitch is she's like having visions of all this during her date with joel and she was like fuck this and she goes to the bathroom and she pretty much channels herself through the psychic and makes the psychic send them a message like stop fucking around with me because i'm about to off all you niggas like stop playing with me i'm a beast i'll kill everybody in this motherfucker and she goes back to her date like nothing never happened and says she has a headache, which is incredible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing, I just don't feel good. <laughs> her eyes like bulge. The whole scene gets red. Her face, she gets all like angry. She's like, oh, no, no. I just have a, a tinge of a migraine. Yeah, I don't feel good. I'm going to go lay down. <laughs> <laughs> and so she bails. And then Joel's grandma has another dream about her. And this time we get like zombies and they're all like lovers of the past that she didn't fucked up. Because we see the DeBarge nigga. We see Norman, the nasty nigga. Well, yeah. And we find out that the way he died was mm-hmm. that his wife found out that he cheated and shot him through his eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a callback to the first episode, because if you know, or if you remember, I knew somebody got oh. shot in the eye and they survived. Oh. <laughs> well, Norman didn't. Yeah, I have got to learn to tell that story without laughing because it is not funny, but <laughs> I, I was so little when it happened. It was so jarring. Anyways, 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 anyways. This scene's pretty cool to me, though, because it's like an extension of the thriller video. It really is. There's a lot of fog in here. <laughs> the light is very like blue Suspiria. and red and dense. Yeah. yeah, like it's very it's very saturated light. It's really pretty. Mm-hmm. And the temptress approaches Joel in the grandma's dream, looking like the woman who walked in front of Joel's dad yeah. in her son's car uh-huh. that night. So ooh, full circle. Did you see the Bloody Mary pun? I thought you would like that. Where the one of the dead the dead guys is like, do you want a bloody Mary? And then he barfs into the cup, oh. <laughs> and it's all bloody. Yeah, I think that's the gay guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he, yeah, and he gives it to him. Mm-hmm. So the grandma wakes up and again pleads to God to take care of Joel. So Kay and Joel are now back together, and Kay is trying to convince Joel finally that the temptress is like a crazy murderer, and that she's the same woman that he met at the bar. And obviously, Joel doesn't believe him. But the, it seems like, you know, we get a shot of the temptress, which implies that she's controlling his mind a little bit. Like, she's getting in there now. The temptation is working. And Kay tells Joel to go leave and go back to his small town. And Joel starts crying. 
<laughs> and his acting here is so bad. It, they, they used an entire thing of visine for one single tear. <laughs> they already... <laughs> The thing about it is they just started lighting and doing makeup on black actors kind of decently in the most recent couple of years, probably within the last decade. So um, this entire movie, not Gary Coleman, is giving very much who did the body makeup. Like he looks open casket sharp. He looks dead. Yeah, he looks. He, he does. He, he does look like a corpse. He is serving six feet under couture this entire movie. He's very ashy and like. Remember in Tales from the Hood, the Martin Luther King nigga who was like the in the first story. <laughs> yeah. I just remember being little and thinking that was Martin Luther King. <laughs> he did not have a dream to be in tales from the hood but anyways that nigga he was ashy too because he was dead but this is how gary coleman (laughs) (laughs) this is how gary coleman looked throughout the whole movie so (laughs) um i just remembered like when that tear came down like crying (laughs) crying when you're ashy (laughs) not (laughs) <laughs> Not a good look because the light was like reflecting. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just hilarious to watch. Ooh, that was taking me down. It just wasn't good. He was just trying so hard to like <laughs> look hurt. <laughs> no. And like, I appreciate that he went for it. Like he <laughs> directed this movie. He wrote this movie. He probably did other things. <sighs> he was doing all he could. And, you know, you're right, though, about, like, the lighting. Like, black people, especially darker-skinned black people, were filmed with incorrect lighting for a long period of time because the way that lighting techniques were taught in film school was always with whiteboarding and, you know, using white skin as the default. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, that's very much a thing. It's just... That again, when we go back to the conversation about just how it's just so layered in so many different ways, like specifically mm-hmm. talking um, in black cinema and then horror being that genre, there's just so many things early on that just get completely overlooked, anyways. Like, horror isn't a genre that's being taken seriously for starters, black cinema mm-hmm. is not taken seriously very much until like way later. I and mean, then people are like revere movies until like decades later you know type of shit so when you have black horror it's mm-hmm. like the budget is already hella low like he's got like you said he wrote it directed it, it acted it he's got tyler perry dreams with like a high school digital media budget like <laughs> you know like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. you know trying to fucking do the best with what he has and it's like god like how far we have come (laughs) like how far we have come but it's cool that we can at least like acknowledge the leaps and strides we have made Mm -hmm. and still get a very powerful message several powerful messages across with like not the great greatest uh effects and lighting amount of money yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he made a he he made lemonade out of lemons mm-hmm. <laughs> budget wise. He knows what all black people do. They we make do. We make it do what it do. Okay? We make shit work, get it popping, and it still come out super hot. I love that. Yeah, he should have had a better career based off of this film. For sure. I'm surprised he didn't want to do more stuff. He may have. He maybe just didn't get the funding because this movie didn't do that well. Yeah. 
But Kay lets him know he just didn't want to seem jealous. Joel's mad skeptical. They get into a fight. And this is where Joel starts to finally put some bass in his voice and yell, claps back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he tells him to go home. Key cries. And then Kay calls the grandma like uh, he's got to go. They have a conversation about him leaving without us hearing it. But we kind of get the insinuation mm-hmm. that Kay like puts the grandma on to like, I told him to go back home to you where it's safe. Yeah, because Grandma shows up eventually because he wasn't coming. <laughs> yeah, because then Kay and Dougie link up to pull up on the She-Devil and ride out because they got their weapons and shit and they're ready to go ham because he's got his big ass And knife. this 80s hip-hop music is everything. Mm-hmm. This, like, cheesy late 80s. Dude, this score is so good. Yeah, this is like De La Soul with a little stank on it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. definitely, it's corny, but amazing. I, I really enjoy it. Again, it feels very Spike Lee. Yeah, it's like all the running music from like fucking New York Undercover and like all the every every running yeah, scene like in a those Spike eight, Lee late eighties action movies mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like every running scene in the movie Juice. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's definitely oh, yeah. giving rock him beats. Eric B in them. Mm-hmm. So we run into Michael Jackson again, who now looks like Mario Van Peebles for some reason. Like, because <laughs> we get more up on his face. Because he's outside, different yeah, lighting. Yeah, and yeah. we get more up on his face. I'm like, oh, no, this looks like Mario Van Peebles now. And they tell him to give her this holy water and to mix it in her drink. And he's like, okay, because they hold him up at like knife point or whatever the fuck. They're like, go do this or we'll fucking kill you. He's all scared. And so he runs in like a little bitch ass nigga and follows directions. But he's being super yeah, obvious. Yeah, he was getting a little rough with him. <laughs> yeah, he's being super obvious, though, and acting hell sketch while he's doing this. And I'm surprised she didn't like use her witch bitch powers to like catch on to him being weird. Well, I think she did because later when he's a demon and holding up, he hold he holds up the water bottle. So it looks like to us in this scene that he gets it in there, but I don't think he actually gets it in there. That is him. They cut away, or the, it's like out of frame. Yeah, but yeah, she drinks it and she goes ape shit. And they even said that she was gonna go ape shit and be barfing and farting and fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Dougie was like, she's going to be slobbering and farting and gagging and shit. And he said it just like that. <laughs> There's like little bits of comedy in here that I'm pretty sure were intentional. And yeah, it's just, it, you know, it lightens up the mood. We need to lighten up the mood a little bit because this movie is pretty yeah. serious and takes itself seriously. So it's good that it knows that it needs some levity here and there. Yeah. And Kadeem Hardison is in this and he can never be taken seriously. So there's that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but she is gagging and convulsing on the ground. And Dougie goes to cut her heart out because like when they were with Madame Sonia earlier, Dougie thinks that like they need to cut her heart out while it's still beating and bury it in hollowed ground. <laughs> Cause he, <laughs> he read about that somewhere. <laughs> That's why he's giving her the holy water, too. That's another part of the fucking... Yeah, to, like, kill her from the inside out type shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he tries to do that, but her powers are too strong. He can't fucking stab her. And just the acting that Cynthia Bond does with her eyes, like, she is good at using her eyes. She's crazy at, like, being crazy. It's so good. She's going mm-hmm. ham on the floor. And yes, I was listening for the farting. She didn't fart. <laughs> <laughs> she did not fart. No. And she wasn't slobbering. I was a little disappointed 
Because you, you know, you always want to see someone super hot be unglamorous. Yeah, and I was waiting for it, and I thought it'd be so funny to see her fart because it's like, yeah, like uh, like pretty people being <laughs> gross, like the bitch in um, yeah, don't be a menace to South Central who is just like farting on Martin Wiggins <laughs> and picking her nose, like yeah. <laughs> hilarious. Or Brenda in Scary Movie too, which I'm gonna piss on your yeah. face and I'm then gonna I'm gonna fart, fart in your, your mouth, mouth. <laughs> and then I'm gonna shit on these walls, right? <laughs> too dirty. Uh, regina hall oh love her an icon so she tries to use her powers to kind of like turn the knife on him it doesn't work she doesn't stab him or anything but she is able to get back up and she is like on the ass now yeah she's like you will now fight the beast but she gets up out of there. Yeah, and for whatever reason, they decide to split up because they can't decide on a way to follow each other. So they're like, we'll just split up. And that's dumb. But that again, that is such a man thing to do. So no, man. I have the right directions. No, I have the right directions. And they can't figure it out. And guess what? They both get Fucked, killed. Yeah. Because they're too strong in their own ideas. They can't collaborate enough. Like Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm not listening to another man's ideas. I'm the right. My ideas are the right ones. And these fucking idiots. Dougie goes right away because Dougie hails down a car. He gets picked up by um yuck mouth Mario Van Peoples. Who, DeBarge. Yeah, because <laughs> now he's uh, fucking changed. And in the back seat is E.T.'s goth bride. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what the little like like alien looking thing looked like i was like is that et just like an extra body from et you know one of the throwaway dummies yeah <laughs> the, the animatronic that they didn't use the, the animatronic et that they used for the b-roll yeah one that just kind of got fucked up in like a like a, a throwaway scene or something and then they just put like a black veil on it because the eyes is all red <laughs> it's like this is mm-hmm. so cheap like did you get this from a yeah they definitely they ran out of the low budget by this point. <laughs> at th- at this point, like... craft services was like pass around this thing of Tic Tacs and uh, everyone gets one sip of water <laughs> out of this water bottle. <laughs> uh, Your breaks are three and a half minutes long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Joel, <laughs> my, my notes say Joel's with temptation looking like Webster because now this is where he looks like way smaller than her. When she, Did you notice that? Like, them sitting next to each other, like before they're making out when they're sitting on the bed next to each other, she looks way bigger than him at this point. It's very like, I think it's the angle and mm-hmm. it's definitely like, you know, that's a film trick, a cinematography trick to make the person in power. I'm going to say bigger, but that's the thing. It, like it, that it's like a play on that, like how much power she has over mm-hmm. him and stuff. And then they start kissing, like kissing, kissing, which I'm like, this is very spicy for him. She tries to get him drunk off of wine but he's like, I don't drink. But then he like, oh, she like, she puts the wine, which is like candy red. This is not wine. This is water with red food coloring mm-hmm. in it. Like you couldn't get wine. This, Yeah, the budget was really <laughs> out. They couldn't even get a two buck chuck at this point. They couldn't even get church wine. They used. Or like the little um, it looks wine like coolers. <laughs> yeah, there's no wine coolers or nothing back. You could have even gotten grape juice and been closer, bro. Cranberry, nothing. Yeah, this shit does not look like anything people actually drink. But she puts it in her mouth and kisses it into his mouth. And I guess he's such a lightweight that he passes out immediately. Or maybe that's just like her powers. But then she laughs maniacally. And I'm like, is she laughing at that he passed out? I don't know. I think it's just like a haha, I'm in charge kind of. I guess that's fine. 
Yeah. I was just like, why did he pass out so quickly? Is it the power? Is it the liquor? Because that's what happens Who when ten-year-old, ten forty-six-year-olds drink. Do they get? You ever see your your, <laughs> your nana or your baby cousin get drunk? <laughs> like they're always due for a nap. <laughs> this young old nigga is tired. Okay, he's had a lot. He is getting coochie and liquor in one night. Like that is overwhelming <laughs> for his system. He is yeah, neither. he is overstimulated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that is true. That is true. You know, this is probably the first time his little baby dick got hard, and he is just like, "Oh, that's oh. that's what that does." Yeah, I was like, "Are you telling me that he didn't like jizz his pants immediately when she kissed him?" That's why he passed <laughs> like out. He would do, have. do men not immediately pass <laughs> out after they come? Like that's exactly what happens. So, <laughs> but he wakes up. Well, no, we get K first. I was going to say K does like, they have a ripoff of Poltergeist here, I guess. They, yeah. K, K hears something. He grabs a knife and he goes into like the, the living room area. And on the TV, he sees himself and like the temptress through himself on the screen. It's like playing into his vanity because he, you know, he plays up being a successful actor, but really like. He's kind of a failure, or at least he's an unknown still. Mm-hmm. So she's playing up his ego and is like, look, come to me on the TV. Like, look how look how famous you'll be or whatever. She's just luring him in with his own vanity. And on the screen, like the, the TV version of him, the mouth gets huge and sucks him into the TV. And like the Reagan bust on top of the television, like the, the funny ass looking bust starts like wriggling and cackling. To me, it's like, is this symbolism? Is it saying that, like, Reagan is happy to take down another black man? Yeah, for sure. It's almost like the black man taking the bait with the crack that was planted in there by the police and the government. Mm-hmm. And symbolically, Reagan is laughing at at that through this scene. Yeah, 1,000%. No, you're totally spot on with that. Because, like... <laughs> first of all the special effects in this are hilarious it's just like rubber and <laughs> like a blow-up dummy thing like <laughs> just like eating him but no it's it's very much a touch on that and very political yeah and we go to something very political and then the tv just burps k's guts out all over the floor yeah as his like his face i guess like the embodiment of his face in the tv is pressed up against like the white plastic it's actually a cool image Mm -hmm. it gives me it's a little video drum like when the hand holding the gun kind of comes through the tv Mm -hmm. it's a it's a good video drum reference and then joel wakes up next to the temptress but it's in like his childhood Childhood home, home and his dad is there and calls him a sinner and a fornicator but of course it's another dream and he wakes up for real with the temptress on top of him in her bed and immediately grandma enters and is like fuck you for hurting my grandson she or whatever. like busts <laughs> down the door like the kool-aid man like like immediately <laughs> yeah, comes hauling through and is thrown up against the wall or some shit <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah the temptress is like shoe and she just slams this 70 year old woman into the wall just threw across the room like a dirty towel like it was ridiculous but um then she the temptress like snaps his wrists yeah it's actually kind of brutal yeah and then her fangs come out and um i said she looks like beetlejuice from the howard stern show at this point do you remember that ugly little (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> bug-eyed dude from Howard Stern. That's who she looks like yes. at this point. I just said she goes full demon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She is all the way there. And she starts to choke grandma, and grandma's neck is bleeding and shit. Like she's about to take grandma out. And Joel is like low-key just watching. They really milk the drama of these last few scenes because Joel's wrist is supposed to be like like literally like broken in half, almost like severed mm. off or like hanging in. But at this point, it just looks like he kind of like slit his wrist and it's just like bloody or maybe he got like a paper cut and like it, it just got out of control. She snapped the bone back. Yeah. And now it literally looks like he took like a fucking like a kitchen knife and just gently like went the wrong way yeah. over the base of his face. It's like if you like accidentally like cut the bottom of your hand or something. And, oh shit. It's like me running across the kitchen. Like, Oh, I need a bandaid. You know, like it wasn't mm-hmm. giving what it was supposed to be gave. <laughs> it's like he was doing this like slow motion crawl to the Bible. Cause he like spotted the Bible and the cross. They were perfectly right next to each other across the room. Oh, yeah, because, like, he ha- he's having a vision of his father preaching, mm-hmm. and his father's like, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. The power is in the word, Joel, and the knowledge of that is your weapon. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is getting a little too Jesus-y for me. It's like the vision is coinciding with him finding the crucifix and the Bible on the floor. Very, like, you know, it was like a prophecy. Like, from when he was yeah. born, he was, he was going to be the blessed one. Yeah, it was very dramatic, a little 10-minute scene drawn out. But then he gets the Bible, and I remember thinking this is where it really amps up. But um, she's like, has the grandma hostage, and he's like, let her go. And it turns into a Ja Rule song, because he says, this is between me and you. (laughs) (laughs) Every demonic thing that we do (laughs) is between me and you. <laughs> so he like he doesn't even say anything from the Bible. He's just holding the Bible and a cross. <laughs> he doesn't even say any Jesus quotes, and he's able to like make her head. And he explode just says, "I rebuke shit. you." The way that we know that she is being um, destroyed is because they just invert the colors <laughs> on the screen. It's, yeah, it looks like a negative. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> and then and then her head explodes, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> The makeup is actually pretty decent here. I'm like, this is where all the special effects makeup went. But the actual effect of it exploding itself, they're like, we're going to put the negative on here because we don't have enough money to make this look good. (laughs) But you know what? It was a good choice. It was artistic, too. You can tell that this was one of the first scenes they shot because this is where they had all the money. So they would do (laughs) the big stuff first. But yeah, then, you know, he just ends up in Grandma's Hands. Isn't that a Bill Withers song? I don't know. Grandma's Hands? Uh-huh. I have never heard of it. Yeah, it's a Bill Withers song, I'm pretty sure. And birds are chirping loud as fuck. It's like, dude, okay. Now we're getting real wholesome with it. It's really it's just like Jesus comes to save the day. And <laughs> the birds are chirping. Everyone's happy. And we get a smooth closeout scene of a car pulling up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just say a car. This was a gray Cadillac limo. Yeah, it was very impressive. You have to point it out. <laughs> it was very impressive. Very impressive. And it's very playish shit happening. 
and we get a roll down of the window and it's Kay and he's got his fangs now and he's a smooth ass nigga because he's got the cool shades and the hat and he's the illest nigga you've ever seen driving a Cadillac limo and he stops and the person who gets out goes into the bar again Mm-hmm. and they're in the bar and we pan up and it's Dougie repeating the exact same first line about um, using a cigarette lighter instead of matches. Because the flame lasts longer. Yeah, that the temptress used on them. Um, he's now using it on some other bitch. And I think maybe his game is finally working, which is like full circle moment. <laughs> well, because he is the temptress in the car earlier when... Michael Jackson, DeBarge, whatever, <laughs> showed <laughs> him the, the holy water and we see E.T., goth E.T. in the dress. <laughs> I think that was the temptress's, like, legit Takeover. body looking yeah. for a new host. Yeah. He is now her host and he is saying that line or she is saying that line through him to another young, hot black woman that I believe will become the new temptation. Yeah, which, like I said, it's like full circle moment. It's just really funny because it was mm-hmm. him of all people who was never getting any play, and now he's finally getting his little dick wet. So, yeah. Well, I mentioned, though, to Chris before that the closing scene Kadeem Hardison is a limo, a vampire limo driver. And I was wondering if it was any relation to, like, was his role in Vampire in Brooklyn where he's like a ghoul limo driver? Is he like kind of like low-key paying homage to that or like is it a shot of like reference to this role you know yeah i don't know i feel like there's no links between the movies but it i don't know i feel like it, it could be a tongue-in-cheek thing maybe when you know maybe when he got cast in that the director of vampire in brooklyn was like oh i loved you in death by temptation let's riff off of that yeah because there's a lot of other stuff that happens in um vampire in brooklyn specifically with kadeem harson's character that i didn't realize wasn't like happening in this kind of because Vampire in Brooklyn wasn't meant to be taken as seriously either. Oh, no, no. That's a comedy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it also had some, like, serious themes and conversations mm-hmm. in it. Um, not as heavy-handed as this one, though. But, yeah, I just thought that was like, a funny little tidbit. And that'd be funny if they were not, like, necessarily related. But there's a little connect. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was the movie, y'all. I loved it. It was fun to watch. It was. It's a fun movie. It's a really beautifully shot film. Like this movie is like a masterclass in how to use lighting well when you might not have the best equipment available or the biggest budget, because the way that Ernest Dickerson uses like red and blue lighting in this and shadows and fog to create like frames that really speak thematically like a lot of the shots here have so much meaning behind them. And in a movie that, like in the horror genre, you know, that has a couple of laughs in it. It's really impressive to me, especially, mm-hmm. again, on this budget. Like, they really knew how to use that money. Yeah, like I said, a little bit went a long way. Yeah, and just, like, the way that this movie, like, broached those really sensitive taboo topics, like homosexuality, AIDS specifically. Like, AIDS was really ravaging the queer and Black communities at this time. And it's really nice to see, like, a you know, a straight director kind of bring the queer element into this when he didn't have to. Yeah. Oh, totally. It shows that AIDS does not discriminate, that this was not just a queer disease. It's not just a black disease. And even though we only see black people in this film, I think that's more of because he was trying to, you know, he wanted to employ black people. He wanted to tell a black story. And 
not rely on white stars and other just bullshit the politics to get this movie made and to get it financed. So I think he really took a lot of risks and it maybe did it financially pay off for him at the time. But I think he created something that is going to be looked back on fondly. Yeah, something that does spark a lot of several different conversations. Um, That's why I said it taps kind of all bases. So kind of no matter what you identify it as or something like you're still gonna get a solid story and understanding at least of something, you know, because there is, you know, feminist tropes and there's conversations for, you know, like the queer audience and also like toxic masculinity and just the black experience just so many things just so many things and even things mm-hmm. that we, i'm sure that we probably even missed because we smoked all oh, the yeah. weed i know well and a good thing about this especially for the time in 1990 is that this to me it doesn't stigmatize aids or people with hiv or aids yeah it just shows it flatly as a as like an epidemic that's plaguing the country and i guess particularly the black community it's not portrayed as like a punishment necessarily. It's portrayed more as a side effect. Yeah. Of a, like a side effect of a certain decision and not like a condemnation of who you are as a person necessarily. And, yeah. you know, it toes the line, but I think it does it in a nuanced way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's impressive. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. Yeah, I love a little well-rounded cinema and that's why i begin pissed that they overlook in our stories because we have so much good stuff to say and if white people get to be mediocre i feel like like i'm so tired sometimes like so i've heard somebody else say this before um and another like podcast that i follow like black excellence is overrated like what about black okay like what if i just want like mm-hmm. black mediocrity like that should be accepted too i should have to go over above and beyond and be not twice as good, but thrice as good to even be looked at. Not even, like, considered, but just, like, looked at, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like in a world full of so many mediocre white stories, there's so many great, incredible black gems that are just being overlooked. Yeah. And this film has been out for a long time. And it's like, when I was even looking up, when I was even researching on it, a lot of the reviews for this film are from the last five years. So it shows that it wasn't even that panned back when it came out. It was really just ignored. Mm-hmm. It made like $2 million and change at the box office, which isn't terrible for something of this budget, but it definitely isn't a hit. Yeah. And it definitely, it, it deserved better. Yeah, for sure. We don't have any questions this week, y'all. Plus I'm really high and, and I need to like finish my chicken wings. Yeah. So for this movie, I would say uh, a sativa uh, dominant hybrid. Yeah, I would say would work because there is a lot going on here. Like on the surface, it's just like a succubus movie Mm -hmm. about you know just straight up about temptation. But really, there's a lot of stuff about queerness and agency and you know just morality. But it's all complex and it's very well done. The way that Reaganomics and AIDS are woven into it mm-hmm. in the ways that they were when this could have been a really crass and insensitive movie. Like, I feel like everyone should see it. It's on shutter right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a team of dominant hybrid. Cause you want to settle into it. You don't want to be too like, you know, jittery, 
but I don't think you want your brain to be totally sluggish because there are a lot of little details here, just the lines, the way that characters are framed that really like enhance all the messages. And it's really fascinating to see new things in it this time around that I haven't seen before. Yeah, you definitely want to be able to like catch all these things while still like enjoying the film for the genre that it's trying to, um, or like the subgenre of horror that it's trying to be a part of. Yeah, there's all these little things, but it's also really funny. And there's some really just silly things that you could catch while also catching the heavier messages. So get into it. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about black shit all month because it's Black History Month by the time this episode comes out. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to end with. Just I have to go, (laughs) y'all. I'm tired. Yeah, we started this episode a little late today. This movie is a great time capsule of the late 80s, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you're a fan of that time period, like I am, it's just aesthetically alone. The fashion it's just is incredible all around. Like the J's, mm-hmm. like all of Kadeem's fits are ill. His fucking like shoe collection is dope. Her collection of like outfits is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like her silhouettes are like great. Even that like gothy black dress she was sporting was like super cute. Yeah, it's a good little very well cut capsule collection. So stay scared and stay high and watch this fucking movie. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Queer Horror High. (laughs) Damn, that shit's good.